Good morning, and welcome to worship. Welcome to the house of the Lord. God is with us. Amen? Amen. Whether you're here in the sanctuary or whether you're worshiping from your your living room or your den at home, God is with us. It is so good to be able to come with intentionality to hear from the Lord. Amen? Amen. I'm going to do an Andy today. Amen? Amen. <laughs> it is indeed a blessing for us to be able to gather together with with our brothers and sisters of the faith. And if you happen to be joining us for the first time today, know that you are welcome here all the time. Uh, I'm Pastor Ann, and I'm honored to serve here at The Way as one of the pastors. And um, you're always welcome to come and be with us and be a part of what God is doing in and through us here at The Way Woodstock, where we are committed to sharing in hope, living with faith. For the sake of others, <laughs> we continue today on this 40-day journey through Lent, and it is that time that's leading us to the cross upon which Jesus would suffer and die for you and for me and for all humanity. As we focus on the cross and the suffering Jesus has ex- experienced, we can see more clearly not only how he can identify with our pain and suffering, but we can also see how his wounds can offer hope and healing for those wounds that we experience in this life. Earlier, Pastor Andy reminded us that although it's oftentimes difficult for us to talk about our hurts, that the truth of the matter is this. Our unresolved wounds hinder us from living the life God intends for us and offers to us through Christ. So far, we've looked at overcoming rejection and shame. We've seen in the testimonies of both Sylvia and Matt that when we bring our hurts to the cross and we look to and rely on Jesus, we don't have to remain a victim of the painful things that happen to us. We can become a victor, one who has overcome by the blood of the Lamb, one who rises to new life, to a life of joy, a life of freedom, a life of identity, and a life of purpose. Today we're going to be looking, as Tammy so beautifully prayed in her prayer, we're going to be looking at how to learn from and overcome the disappointments that we experience in this lifetime. I want to start by sharing a quote from Chuck Smith. He's the pastor that was depicted in the movie, the new movie that's out, uh, the Jesus Revolution. If you haven't seen it, I'd, in, I would encourage you to go see it. It's a really good movie. But this is a, a quote from Chuck. He says, Grace does not shield the believer from the cruel realities of the fall. We're not in heaven yet, and God does not spare us from the crushing blows that come to everyone. Somewhere along the way, Many of us, probably most of us, struggle when we encounter problems and things don't go as smoothly as we would like them to in our lives. But things didn't go so smoothly for Jesus either. As I started preparing for this message, I started thinking about all the many times that Jesus must have experienced disappointment. And so I've kind of jotted down a few of those that I'd like to share with you. He probably felt disappointment when those he came to reveal himself to 
the Jewish people and their religious leaders refused to accept him as Messiah. He probably felt disappointed when the people focused on the outwardly following God's law to be seen and noticed by others, but they didn't allow God's love for them to change their hearts to hearts of compassion. He probably felt disappointment when people hardened their hearts and refused to let him in. He probably felt disappointment when people came to him just for what he could give them. He probably felt disappointed when his disciples demonstrated lack of faith. Like when they were in that storm and they were all crying out, We're going to drown! We're going to drown! He probably felt disappointment when his cousin John, who was sitting in prison, sent two of his disciples to Jesus to ask if he was the long-awaited one or if they should look for another. And he probably felt disappointment when his disciples argued about who would be sitting next to him when his kingdom came. But his greatest disappointments took place in his last days on earth, as we will hear about in today's scriptures. Join with me as we hear the scripture from the the word of God, Matthew 26, verses 36 to 55. The word of God. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then he went away again a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away a third time and prayed, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. 
With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus knows what lies ahead of him. He knows and he shares with Peter, James, and John. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then Jesus goes and he prays and he comes back and what are they doing? They're sleeping. Three times he leaves and comes back and every time he comes back, they're sleeping, even when he asks them to stay awake and pray. And just a few minutes after that, Jesus is betrayed by a kiss from Judas, another one of the twelve of his closest friends and disciples. I can only imagine disappointment. From there, Jesus is taken to the Sanhedrin and the chief priest. And these were the ones who held the, the religious, silver, civil, and criminal jurisdiction for the Jews. After they convict Jesus of blasphemy, they send him over to the Roman governor, Pilate. And it is here that the crowds, those crowds that cheered his arrival in town, that were cheering and praising God that he was coming, it's here that they turn on him and begin to yell, crucify him, crucify him. And then at Calvary, when all of the disappointment that Jesus has experienced culminate in what seems to be the greatest cause of pain, and it's recorded for us in Matthew 27, verses 45 to 50. Hear the word of God. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachachi, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Forsaken. 
hanging on the cross, that is what it felt like to Jesus. In the book that we're basing this sermon series on, Wounds That Heal, Siemens quotes John Stote, and he says this. He says, the real sting of suffering is not really, is not necessarily, let me read that again. The real sting of suffering is not misfortune itself or even the pain of injustice of it, but the apparent God-forsakenness of it. Pain is endurable, but the seeming indifference of God is not. Hanging on the cross is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus doesn't address God with the personal intimate phrase, my father. But instead, he uses the formal, more distant phrase, my God. Jesus and the Father were one, so connected in purpose and love that Jesus willingly went to the cross. But because of the physical pain he was experiencing and the burden of taking on all our sin, Jesus could no longer feel that connection with his Father. The burden of sin, our sin, caused Jesus to experience this sense of separation. It is sin, our sin or the sin of others, that often causes us to experience this same sense of being forsaken by God. But God did not forsake Jesus, and he does not forsake us, even though, at times, it might feel that way. Painful things happen to us in this lifetime, things that wound our hearts. People fail us in all kinds of ways. Sometimes people abuse one another. Sometimes people are experience infidelity or divorce. People get ill. People die. And sometimes it seems like our prayers are not answered. The world in which we live is broken. And when people do it, what is right in their own eyes and ignore the ways of God, people get hurt. Our hurt does not, does not come from God, though. The hurt comes from the brokenness of the world and the sin of people turning their backs on God and his ways. But when we're hurting, we often look for someone to blame. And like Jesus, in our pain, we sometimes feel like God has disappointed us and isn't present. There's some very common things that happen to our relationship with God and with others, though, when we blame God for our disappointments, though, and we need to be aware of those things. First, disappointments with God damage our ability to trust. We want to avoid pain at all costs, so we simply don't trust anyone anymore. This makes it hard for us to reach out to God or to other people. It will simply add to our feelings of aloneness. And the more alone we feel, other feelings may arise. Feelings of unworthiness and shame that something is wrong with us. 
Sometimes our disappointments with God fuel anger at God. We often find ourselves asking questions like, why did you let this happen? I didn't deserve this. Why didn't you stop it, God? When we fail to see sin for what it is and we blame God, we are in in effect building a wall around us that keeps us from receiving the love and the comfort that God so desperately wants to provide for us in the midst of our pain, we have to tear that wall down. Disappointments with God also expose our idols. We often come to God to serve him in order to to have a blessed life or to get what we want. God wants to be king of our lives. His desire is for us to know him and to honor him in all that we do. He wants us to know that he is with us at all times, in the good times and in the difficult times. He wants to lead, guide, and direct our steps in and through all things. He wants to pour out his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his healing into our hearts. So that we can then share those very same things, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his healing with others. Sometimes when life is difficult, we can see more clearly what actually sits on the throne of our heart. And oftentimes, it's comfort. Is it God? God's the one that needs to sit on our hearts, the throne of our hearts. So what are we to do when we have disappointments in life? Let's look back at the cross and see what Jesus did with his disappointments. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt abandoned and separated from God. And maybe he's not just crying out for himself. Maybe he's crying out for us when we feel that way too. In his crying out, though, Jesus goes back to Scripture. That Those words are from Psalm 22.1. It's a a psalm that the people that were there amongst the crowd might have recognized. So Jesus cries out to God. It's okay. As a matter of fact, he wants us to cry out to him. He tells God how he feels. He feels forsaken. God wants to come and be with us. And he wants to know what's in our hearts. At the moment when he cried out, Jesus felt alone and abandoned. Was that the truth? Absolutely not. But often, the first step to receiving God's truth is for us to empty our hearts of all the junk, the yuck that's in there, and we have to empty our minds of all those negative thoughts that are swirling around, and we have to go back to God's word to get the truth. So Jesus turned to the Psalms. Psalm 22, 1 to 8 was written by King David when he was in a really bad spot, and he's pouring his heart out to God, and I'm going to read that for you right now. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, 
so far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day and you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they were trusted and were not put to shame. After pouring his heart out to God in those first two verses, then we see David turning back to God in those verses three through five. Then he continues, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. We see in those last two verses that David acknowledges what's going on. He is being mistreated by other people. Yet even in that mistreatment, in that scorn, David is reminded that God is the one in whom he can trust. And although Jesus felt abandoned by God, David Siemens tells us in his book, he says this, and this is a quote, At the cross, the Father and Son were never more united, never more bound together. They were one in their surrender, one in their self-giving. The Father surrenders the Son, as Romans 8.32 tells us. God did not withhold his own Son, but gave him up for all of us. The Son, in turn, surrenders himself to the will of the Father, as told in Philippians 2.8. Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. At the cross, the Father and the Son were united even in their separation, held together by their oneness of will and purpose. End of quote. And just like David turned back to God after pouring his heart out, we see Jesus also turning back to God after having expressed that he's feeling forsaken He cries out one last time. Matthew, the book of Matthew doesn't tell us what he says, but the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke does. And in chapter 23, verse 46 in the gospel of Luke, we're told that Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. These words reaffirm Jesus' connection to God and show us that even though his faith may have faltered for a moment, it did not fail. The Apostle Paul declares to us in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Siemens explains that that last phrase can also be translated a little bit differently. It can also be translated by the faith of the Son of God. So in other words, it would say, the life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. At the foot of the cross, the faith of Jesus, which endured to the very end, can be imparted to us. Our damaged trust can be exchanged for his determined faith. We don't have to hide anymore. We can be honest with God, we can be honest with ourselves, and we can be honest with one another. We don't have to find someone to blame anymore. We can bring our anger at the injustices of this world to God. We don't have to pretend anymore. We can own our mistakes and we can ask God to help us to walk in his ways. We don't have to turn away from God. We can turn toward him. We can come to the cross and we can surrender all our disappointments, all of our false expectations, our false idols, our pain, our mistakes, everything. In a few minutes, we're going to have an opportunity to come to the Lord's table and receive Holy Communion. We're going to take a few minutes to prepare ourselves to receive, though. If God has laid something on your heart that you might need to lay at the foot of the cross, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. This is going to come instead of our confession that we usually do, that sometimes we will do before communion. This is going to be your time to do a private confession. And I offer the altar. Come and give it to Jesus. Lay it down. Jesus endured the pain and the suffering of the cross so that we don't have to be burdened anymore. Come to Jesus and lay it down. Let us pray. Dear most gracious God, we thank you, Lord, that you enabled us to come and give you whatever is in our hearts and on our hearts, that that is what you desire to do. You desire to give us a new life that removes us, that helps us to move beyond anything and everything that this world can throw at us. So, Lord, um, we give you this time, and we ask that um, as we come and we either sit in our seats or we come to the altar, Lord, that... um, You will do what you do best, and that is take our burdens. So we give you this time. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.